This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Hoisty Colors podcast, our post-game podcast. We are recapping East Carolina's 55-17 loss to Cincinnati. I'm Stephen Igo, the host of this podcast, the publisher of hoistacolors.net. Wish we could be bringing you better news. Unfortunately, an outcome that many of us hoped wouldn't happen. In the back of our minds, we all knew it was a possibility. Cincinnati, the number seven ranked team in the country, the class of the American Athletic Conference thus far in 2020. They show why in a complete destruction of the Pirates, 55-17, to outgained ECU 653-293. to ECU actually has a decent day on the ground with 206 yards rushing, but next to zero passing game, 87 yards through the air. Holton Aylers picked three times. No touchdown, no touchdowns for Holton after throwing for 535 yards last year against the same Cincinnati personnel in many respects. So, uh, just a complete 180 of last year's games. We're going to get into your question uh, questions here shortly. It's about 1 a.m. on Saturday morning as we do this preview or recap podcast, wrapping up a long week uh, here of coverage on Hoist the Colors. Of course, only two more games. Scheduled right now for ECU, which is one and six on the year, one and five in American Athletic Conference play. Now a four-game losing streak because, of course, they did not get that win over Tulsa nor over Navy with Holton Aylers out. But tonight it's all about Cincinnati and ECU, and uh, the tough year continues for Mike Houston and the Pirates. So we will get to your questions here in a bit. Wanted to first run over some of the game highlights, some of the game notes, my biggest takeaways, etc. I guess we'll start with the positive. We got to start on the bright side, right? I mean, this was a, this is a tough game. Not many positives, to be quite honest, coming out from ECU side. But uh, we have to start with the running back situation. And of course, if you're going to talk positives with the team that's one and six, why not focus on the youth? And man, a lot of good youth in the backfield tonight to be happy about for the foreseeable future. Keaton Mitchell's really his coming out party. As a Pirate, the young true freshman running back has his first 100-yard rushing game, 17 carries, 124 yards, and a touchdown. He had all the yardage on ECU's first-half scoring drive. He had a a 14-yard run, a 26-yard catch, and then he capped it off with an 18-yard touchdown run. Accounted for all 50-plus yards on that drive, on those three plays. Uh, really good to see Keaton involved, not only in the running game on the edge, which ECU really took advantage of against the Cincinnati defense, but also utilizing the air on a wheel route, which was good to see his speed taken advantage of. I mean, if you get him against a linebacker, that's a matchup you take all day. And Holton Aylers was able to put that throw 
on the money. So 17 carries for 124 yards for Keaton Mitchell. A long of 22, he finishes with 7.3 yards per carry. Rajay Harris also had a solid night, 23 carries, 84 yards. He found the end zone with a touchdown, I think with 17 seconds to go to make the score a little more respectable, of course, before Cincinnati was able to rip off a long run uh, with 10 seconds remaining. But uh, you look at Rajay and Keaton, they combine those two running backs to go for more than 200 yards rushing as the true freshman duo continues to have a solid season. Once again, no Darius Penix. We did not see him on the sideline on the television broadcast. Demetrius Mooney was dressed but has yet to get a carry this season. He has mainly played special teams. So just Keaton Mitchell and Rajay Harris, uh, Trace Christian, the redshirt junior running back, also dressed, also playing special teams, but has not gotten a carry this season. So it's the Keaton Mitchell and the Rajay Harris show in the backfield for ECU. Uh, Receiver-wise, really not too many positives tonight. We talked about the lack of a passing game, and it just was not there. Uh, Cincinnati's defense really suffocated ECU. Ahmad Gardner, the standout sophomore cornerback, really dominated C.J. Johnson on the outside, just allowed one catch for 14 yards and four targets. Uh, He was whistled for a penalty, but I thought Gardner overall really took it to Johnson in that matchup, did a good job with his length and physicality. And uh, C.J. right now really struggling with separation. It was just a year ago around this time C.J. had 13 catches for 283 yards, a school and conference record against the same Cincinnati defense. Uh, Did much of that work against Kobe Bryant, who also played tonight at corner for the Bearcats. And he had a pick late, but he mainly guarded Blake Prohl and Omotosho and some of those guys. So uh, I just thought Cincinnati uh, was well more up to the task tonight than what we saw last year. Uh, from this same secondary, and they were ready for ECU. Uh, ECU got Cincinnati's best shot in the secondary, and they were not up for the task overall. So uh, give Cincinnati credit. They have one of the best secondaries in college football for a reason. One other positive before we get to the rest, uh, Luke Larson, I thought the punter, the freshman punter from Australia, the 28-year-old freshman, he had a solid night punting the football. Three of his five punts, we're down inside the 20-yard line. He averaged 41.4 yards per punt. He did the rugby-style punting more times than not. Uh, John Young has been nursing an injury here lately. It looks like he was unavailable to punt tonight, so we saw uh, the big all-seed, Luke Larson, handle most of those punting duties, so we'll keep an eye on that going forward. Defensively, ECU was led in tackles by Jawan Powell. Uh, the redshirt freshman safety got a lot of snaps with Warren Saba exiting with an injury earlier in the game. Powell did struggle a little bit in coverage. But, it, you know, every every rep for Juwan's is a rep. He's really getting better on the field with experience because he's a guy that you expected to play a lot this year. Uh, you know, injured his hamstring in the season opener, really hasn't played a ton since, the two, since returning for the two-lane game. So it's good to see him getting some reps down the stretch this year because he's a guy you're going to need in the future if you're an ECU Pirate fan. Um, I thought that, you know, the defensive front played okay. Cincinnati did rip off some big runs, uh, which was a little disappointing, but it seemed like for the most part, outside of getting washed out a few times, I thought the defensive front got pretty solid penetration. Rick DeBrayu with a sack, uh, which was good to see, uh, which forced the Cincinnati stop, I believe, coming out of the, uh, the, the halftime period to begin the second half. And 
Um, so I thought he played pretty well. He also had a couple guys like Chris Willis had a fumble recovery. He also was in the backfield on a couple plays. And then I thought Elijah Morris, once again, the walk-on freshman nose tackle held his own at the uh, at the point of contact. But overall, defensively, you look at the, the negatives, just too many chunk plays given up in the passing game, in the running game. You know, you give up 653 yards. Of course, you can kind of take out that last 75-yard touchdown run uh, on the last play of the game for Cincinnati. It doesn't really matter. But even then, you're giving up 575 yards of offense. And that's just not going to get it done. And we know Cincinnati's got a very explosive offense, more explosive than in past years. But I thought Desmond Ritter, the Cincinnati quarterback, I mean, he he just he had too many wide-open windows. And he has tremendous arm talent. He did a good job of reading ECU's defense. But you can't give a quarterback that many wide-open windows of his talent. And when you get him in third and long, you have to get off the field. I think it was a third and 26 in the second half. You spy him, which ECU did, and you still can't get off the field uh, in that situation. You allow him to scramble. They go on to score a touchdown. It happened at least two times in the first half. Third and long, he scrambles on his own, gets a first down. I know there was a third and medium. There was a third and ten he was able to get loose when they had a spy, and he still broke contain. I mean, that's something if you're a coach, you work all week for. You, You drill your players on that. You drill your spy on that. And for him to still get out of contain, break the pocket with his legs, get a first down, inexcusable. I mean, it's something that ECU's got to figure out. Maybe look at some of the personnel that they're using as a spy. Make sure it's a more athletic guy who can keep contain more. Because whatever they did, as Mike Houston said after the game, whatever they did Friday night did not work. At the end of the day, Desmond Ritter, 24 of 31, 327 yards, three touchdowns through the air. Eight carries, 75 yards, a touchdown rushing, 9.4 yards per carry. I mean, they did a decent job on the running backs uh, for the most part outside of a few gash runs, and then it was just the uh, the quarterback, which which crushed them. And then, of course, the late run by Cameron Young, the walk-on, one carry, 75 yards, and a touchdown. But again, too many open receivers downfield. Uh, I thought the coverage at times was very porous. Uh, just just wide open guys running in the secondary. Uh, you have Malik Fleming tripping man coverage, which you know he looked like he was beat either way. Even without the trip, you had uh, one of the safeties get beat on a corner route. It looked like from the TV copy. Um, so again, they just got to continue to stir up a lot of things defensively. Such a young team, and uh, Cincinnati really not that old on offense, but they do have an experienced quarterback, a third year starter, and Ritter. He took advantage of ECU today. I thought they had a really good game plan for what ECU uh, was going to bring to the table defensively. Something I did notice before we dive into the questions, and I, I was going to ask this post game, but we got kind of cut off due to the, the lateness of the game. It looked like Blake Carroll, the defense coordinator, was not on the sideline uh, based on the TV copy. We saw Trip Weaver, who's usually in the press box, he was on the sideline signaling in the plays and communicating with the defense during the huddle, uh, during timeouts, during stoppage of play. So maybe Blake Harrell, the defense coordinator, first year over from Kennesaw State, was up in the box calling the play. I don't know if that was a an adjustment made due to wanting to see things better, etc. We saw last year Donnie Patrick, the offensive coordinator, go from on the field to up in the box midway through the year, and it made a difference for ECU's offense. He's still up in the box this year. We also saw Bob Trott go up in the box a few times last year, the, the former defensive coordinator. So that's something we'll get to the bottom of 
uh, this week in practice, but didn't seem to make too much of a difference, at least on Friday night, as Cincinnati rolls up 653 yards of offense, 55 points. They go 5 for 9 on third down, 1 of 2 on fourth down, 66 total plays, 9.9 yards per play. So, uh, again, ECU's offense is not much better. 293 total yards, 87 passing yards, not going to get it done in 2020 in college football. Uh, so uh, those are some of my thoughts. Uh, pretty obvious, just a tough night all the way around for ECU. Uh, let's take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsors, then we'll dive into your questions on the Hoist the Colors message board. All right, we're back. Let's dive into some of these questions. Got a lot of questions on HDC. A lot of frustrated fans, which is understandable. Um, you know, it's a, another tough day to be a Pirate supporter. It's been a tough few years. Uh, what's another blowout loss going to do? But just uh, take it down a little more. Uh, Berg Pirate, faithful Berg Pirate comes in. What's the biggest problem on offense, uh, quarterback, OC, or offensive line? I mean, I think you have a night like tonight. You have a up-and-down season like uh, ECU has had. I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, I, I'm not one. I'm not an offensive guru. I'm not going to pretend to be one. You know, I'm a sports writer. You want to call me a talking head, whatever. When I look at this offense, you know, the the first thing I see is the, the lack of, a, of an offensive line due to injuries, due to lack of recruiting, due to attrition, I think that is the biggest culprit. And it's to no fault of the guys playing. They're trying their best. They're doing what they can. But, you know, we laid it out earlier this week. You're missing six to eight guys that you should have, either due to injury, attrition, recruiting, what have you, that should be on the field, should be available right now if everything went 100% right. Which, look, most programs are not going to have that success rate in terms of medical DQs, recruiting, et cetera. Like, you're going to get hit at most programs around the country, especially on the offensive line, which is such a volatile position. But ECU has had the worst luck I have ever seen with a position group on the offensive line. It seems like every time they get a promising young player, he either gets injured or has the medical DQ or something just doesn't work out. And I think that attrition, that addition of so many guys – being in and out of the lineup over the years, that just seems to be taking its toll on this year's team. And now, as a result, you've got some guys who are in there busting their butt. But look, you look at the center position, Fernando Fry. All due respect to Fernando, but he's a he's a guy who really shouldn't even be on the team from the standpoint of he walked on on his own. He was not even invited. He followed his girlfriend down here. It just so happens to be that he walks onto the team. Now he's a team starting center. And it's a great story, but he's not a guy who's going to be an all-conference player. You look at left tackle, Nashad Strother, probably either should be developing or playing a different position right now. Instead, Deontay Smith, your best offensive lineman, a senior, can't play. That that forces Nashad Strother to really learn a position he wasn't practicing much until this preseason. Uh, you look at right tackle, you should have Noah Henderson there. If not Noah Henderson, Matt Morgan should be a uh, fourth-year player, a redshirt junior. He elected to leave the program after last year, uh, after getting his degree, and, and forewent his last two years of eligibility. John Spellacy should be your starting center as a senior right now. He was medically disqualified. Peyton Winstead should be a starting center or starting guard right now. He's missed the last two years due to injury. Uh, the list goes on and on. Cortez Heron should be your starting left guard right now. He was kicked off the team after getting arrested this offseason. So, 
there are just so many stories uh, that it, it's just unfortunate. Donovan Noel, James D'Amato, two guys who would be upperclassmen right now who medically DQ'd early in their career. So I still go back to the offensive line. I know it's not the sexy excuse, but I think it is a valid excuse. You know, as far as the quarterback play, as far as the offensive coordinator position, you know, we could go on and on about that. I mean, the, the most obvious thing to blame if you're a fan watching the game from a couch is the quarterback play and the offensive coordinator because it's the two most easy things to identify. And I get it. You know, you see the quarterback throw multiple picks in a game, three picks tonight, for example. And, yes, they were they were bad mistakes. Um, you can't make those throws if, if you're a an experienced quarterback. But Holt Naylor's did. And, you know, it's just one of those things where he's got to be more consistent. So I do say the quarterback play tonight was an issue. I don't think it is the issue with this offense. I think if there was a better option, Mike Houston and the staff would be, would be going to that option. But right now, there is no better option. Holt Naylor's has proven in the past when he gets time, when he finds a rhythm, he can put up big numbers. And uh, tonight just was not his night. As far as the, the offensive play calling, you know, I do think it has been inconsistent at times this year. But it goes back to me, you know, how much of that is the lack of spring practice to really get a feel for so many of these young guys. The lack of an offensive line for what we just talked about tonight, for example. If you're Donnie Kirkpatrick, do you really trust that your offensive tackles can protect in a standard, you know, three, five step drop with the offensive line that's in the game after Nashad Strother gets out? I don't I don't I was I was uh fearful for Holton Aylers anytime he dropped back to pass. So, you know, I don't think it's any specific one person's fault. I think it's a collection of uh of bad breaks. Certainly, Donnie Kirkpatrick, the offensive staff could do things better. Uh, the quarterback can play better. The offensive line can play better. The running backs can do things better. The wide receivers can catch the ball more consistently. You can't have drops uh, on the first play of the game or the first series of the game when you have third and one against a top 10 team on the road. I mean, you just have to make those plays. And uh, I think it's just a collective effort. But it does seem like something with the offense is off from week to week. You know, it's hard to put my finger on it. I'm not inside the program, but it just seems like we've yet to see that game outside of maybe USF where everything really clicks. All right, Bergpire, he continues with the offense. Will we see a change in philosophy on offense the rest of the season? Well, I mean, at this point, what are you going to change? I mean, you're seven games in. You really don't have a bye week. You can't change but so much of the philosophy. I mean, you certainly can't drop back and pass 50 times if your offensive tackle – situation is going to be what it is you know the running game is actually solid tonight I, I think you can't overreact against a, a team like Cincinnati and say you know hey we struggled against Cincinnati let's change everything we're doing when tonight ECU scored the most points on Cincinnati's defense that any FBS team has scored this entire season which is hard to believe based on how they play in the passing game but they actually ran the ball at a very high success rate tonight, and it wasn't due to garbage time. I mean, Cincinnati was playing its defense, and ECU ran the ball at a high level. ECU wants to run the ball. Clearly, they want to be more efficient in the passing game. They just have to be better all the way around. You know, we've talked ad nauseum about the offense and the offensive style and the you know lack of certain things we're seeing, but I don't think you can change the philosophy at this point in the season, maybe you do some things differently. You tweak the scheme, but you're not going to see a philosophy change at this point uh, until maybe the off season. 
how do we how do we make our blitzes less predictable? Berg Pirate wants to know. You know, I thought early in the game, ECU, you know, Cincinnati did a good job of, of, of simulating the snap count, which led to ECU showing some blitzes. I thought as the game went on, ECU adjusted pretty well defensively to stop showing their blitzes maybe a, a tick too early. You know, Ritter would pull his hands up like he was going to call for the snap and then do his little uh, fake hard count deal. And I think once ECU kind of got a feel for that, they did a better job of uh, disguising their blitzes. But, you know, as far as making the blitzes less predictable, I thought I, d- I didn't think ECU was too predictable tonight. I thought the safety creeped up a few times and maybe could have held off a little bit more. And uh, that allowed Desmond Ritter to kind of throw at where the blitz was coming from. But I didn't think tonight was egregious. I thought Tulane uh, egregiously took advantage of ECU's uh, blitz calls with the pre-stamp stuff. Tonight was not as bad. There were still a few things they could have done a little bit better. But I thought it was an improvement over the last game. I mean, the, the more the more things you got to worry about right now with ECU's defense is how do we not let receivers just wind up 10 yards open behind our defensive backs how do we get pressure with our blitzes because you know when they did blitz they got stonewalled tonight and I think part of that is due to Cincinnati's offensive line talent but you know you you want to see more of these blitzes hit home and um, that's just something we're not seeing right now and I, I don't know if the guys just aren't uh, executing their stunts properly or need to continue to develop in the weight room which seems like a lightly Likely scenario, but uh, they have to start getting home more on the blitzes. I mean, the one sack tonight was just Diabreu beating his guy in a one-on-one pass rush situation that didn't didn't look like a blitz. So they got to find a way to uh, to get more pressure, which is standard rushes, which will come over time with proper defensive line development. Uh, because l- listen, if you blitz a lot like ECU does, you're going to get burned. You're going to make some plays. Uh, but you're also going to get beat. But you also want that ratio to be a little bit more towards 50-50 and not be getting beat 70% of the time when you blitz versus you know, 30% of the time uh, that you're making a play. You want to make the ratio be worth blitzing. Otherwise, it, it just doesn't do much good to blitz so much. All right, next question, Ultraviolet. He wants to know, what was Mike Houston's gripe on the fumble call? It was not a fumble and clearly showed on the replay. Um, you know, like he was voicing to the ref, uh, based off reading his lips on the DV copy, he thought the ball was coming loose on the hit. You know, I personally did not think it was coming loose. I thought he was down and, uh, it was the appropriate call, but that just, you know, maybe the, the, you know, the video replay system in the stadium showed a different angle or something, but on TV, it looked like he was down. Uh, ultraviolet also wants to know second, what did he and Luke Fickle discuss at the end? You know, I'm sure they discussed the fake punt. Uh, up 42 to 10, the fake punt situation. Luke Fickle did apologize to Mike Houston in his post-game press conference. He said that it was not a called play from the sideline and that it was a called audible on the field from the player. So, you know, we'll take him at that word. But still, you know, pretty inexcusable, in my, in my opinion, to, to be calling that up 42 to 10, whether you're the player or the coach. I mean, you can say, hey, it's ECU's job to stop them. I mean, yeah, I don't have a problem with Cincinnati running their offense with the backup quarterback. I completely get that. But running a fake punt is a whole different deal, and that's just classless in my opinion. So I will, uh, you know, that's one I'll circle just as far as, you know, that's what a Luke Fickle team team did, whether it was Luke Fickle's call or not. That disappoints me. 
I don't have a problem with them throwing after that as far as running their offense. Uh, you just don't run fakes or special plays in those situations. That just kind of rubs people the wrong way. All right, next uh, next question. As far as what they discussed at the end, uh, Mike Houston didn't really get into it post game. He said it was between him and Luke, but I'm sure that's what they discussed. Uh, Balan R99. He wants to know is the offense held back by talent or scheme? I mean, I think the general question of this for me, or the general answer, is always probably um, you know a little bit of both. I mean, there are always things you can tweak with your scheme if you're throwing for 87 yards in a game. I mean, there are some things you've got to do better, both schematically and talent-wise. And, um, you know, I continue to say I want to see Holt Naylor's run the ball more. It seems like he's being coached out of that, which I think is a big disadvantage to his talent level based on what I saw coming out of high school. Uh, We've been at over that. I'm not going to hit on that anymore. We've talked about that basically every week. You know, I also want to see more of the tight ends. I don't think a tight end was targeted at all in the passing game tonight. You know, you look at Cincinnati, their little RPO bootleg to the tight end. I love that play for a guy like Ritter. I would like to see something similar for Holton, getting him on the edge, allowing him to run or pass, put some stress on the linebackers and defense. But um, So I think think it's a little both. Talent, we talked about the offensive line issues. You know, the, the, the thing I wonder... You know, we hype up ECU's receivers so much, and they are good at what they do. I mean, Tyler is Tyler Snead's a great underneath receiver. Blake Pearl's a, a, a very good possession receiver. You know, he has the ability to beat teams deep when he gets a good matchup. C.J. Johnson's a solid, you know, he's a great run runner when it comes to running a go route, but when it comes to other routes, he just doesn't have much – in, in way of creating separation with the whole route tree. I almost wonder if we've overrated ECU's receiving corps and if ECU has put too much value in their receiving corps. You know, if I'm ECU or if I'm an opponent right now and I'm looking at ECU's receivers, no one really strikes fear into me. You know, I, find, I would like to see ECU try and utilize Josiah Hatfield more beyond the line of scrimmage. It seems like everything with him is more laterally and and um and uh, horizontally you know there's there's very little vertical with Josiah Hatfield and maybe he's not capable of that right now but the one time they did go deep to him tonight they drew a pass interference call it was underthrown but we need somebody that can take the top off of defense if I'm watching ECU on TV right now I just don't see that I think CJ has gotten too big he lacks the need to uh to 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 really have the speed to create separation. I think that's part of the issue right now. And, you know, Tyler's not an over-the-top guy. Blake Pearl has made some big plays over the top, but more times than not is more of an underneath guy as well. So I think ECU's receiving core, when I look at it going forward, I'm interested in seeing the incoming class. You know, Theodore Lockley's a guy who can beat defenses deep. Troy Lewis has some speed as a big guy. Javante Sherman's kind of a deep threat. Will, will these guys be the guys who can take a top off of defense? I feel like that's a missing ingredient right now for ECU. Maybe it's just Cy Hatfield eventually, but it just seems like we're we're not able to see ECU really utilize that and back defenses off that way. I know that's kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but uh, I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, all right, let's go here. Uh, ECU Pirates backwards, he asked, do you believe 
Coach is already debating who is who he is bringing in as OC next year. Would it make a difference, or do you think this is a talent issue and it's that simple? I mean, we just went over that. I mean, that's not it's, – it's Coach Houston's job to decide that, but that's not something he's going to decide midseason. I mean, he's just not that type of coach. You look back at last year, he, he made the defensive coordinator change well after the season. He's a guy who wants to look at everything, the season as a whole, the personnel coming back – the plan going forward, etc. So I'm not expecting him to even be considering those thoughts right now until the season's over. You know, if they go one and eight, maybe that's a conversation worth having. I think he trusts Donnie Kirkpatrick. He likes uh, the vision that Donnie has for the offense. They're kind of in line there. Uh, he's never hired another spread offensive coordinator, so I don't know how comfortable Mike Houston is doing that. But again, if that if it comes to that situation, we'll have that conversation right now. To me. I said it on the board. I just don't think it does a lot of good. Uh, SC Johnson, 0408. Would you like to see Garcia more, even if it was just for some packages? I mean, the Saints will pull Breeze just to play Taysom Hill to switch things up. Uh, Urban did this for Tebow's first year at Florida. Gives teams something else to prepare for. I mean, yeah. I mean, if they're not going to use Holton Aylers in the running game, then yes. I mean, I think Holton's one of his biggest strengths is to run the football, especially as a power runner. If you don't want to do that, then yeah, use Garcia. I mean, it's clear that at this point that ECU isn't going to uh, utilize Holton's legs to the extent that I think gives him the best chance to be himself. So use Garcia in the red zone. Use him in short yard situations. You know, they called a quarterback draw tonight. Uh, they're comfortable calling quarterback powers with Mason, as we saw for his touchdown against Navy. But they're not going to do it with Holton. Uh, definitely would like to see them do it with with Mason. He at least gives them a different dimension. And the other thing, too, I want to see Mason earlier in the game. If it's a game like tonight, you know, we keep hearing, well, Mason doesn't have any experience, et cetera, et cetera. We'll get him some. I mean, tonight's game in the fourth quarter was over. With 10 minutes to go, he should have been in the game. Uh, they did put him in with around five to six minutes to go. But at that point, he basically just handed the ball off. I think he threw one time. He needs to throw in live game action to uh, – to get more experience because that's where he needs to grow. Thoughts on the late run, the fake punt, the targeting calls, and Houston's actions going off on the refs on the fumble that was cleared down and the correct overturn and with Fickle at the end. Well, I talked about a lot of that already, but um, don't have a problem with the late run. I mean, normally I would say you take a knee in that situation, but you have a walk-on senior, you want to get him a carry. It's ECU's job to stop him from scoring a 75-yard touchdown on a simple handoff up the gut. So I don't have a problem with that play. I do have a problem with the fake punt because I think fake punt is a cheap play to run when you're up uh, 32 points. Uh, Houston's actions as far as going off on the refs, you know, he felt based on his view that it was a fumble. Um, from our view, you know, it looked like it wasn't. So I'm not going to judge. You know, he maybe have gotten a bad angle or just saw it wrong. So clearly he felt his team was potentially cheated out of a turnover. I don't blame him for, for going off on the officials. He's usually a coach that keeps his composure really well. I wouldn't overreact to that. Uh, the fickle thing at the end, I mean, it didn't seem to be anything egregious on either side. It seemed like it was a pretty grown man conversation, so I'm not too concerned about either of those deals. Uh, Bonds Johns asked, does Houston think he can recruit enough talent here to be bland and vanilla and win that way? Uh, I mean, Mike Houston... I don't want to say bland and vanilla, but clearly he wants to win with a physical style of play, a running game. 
you know, again, tonight they ran the ball well. Uh, they needed to pass the ball better. They weren't able to do that, and clearly that's something he wants to improve upon. He said after the game we have to make more plays in the passing game. I mean, listen, Mike Houston told uh, me and several others, even before he coached a game last year at East Carolina, you know, before any before he saw his team in a live game action, he could look at the talent on the field, uh, the culture where it was. He said, I need three full years uh, to, to get this roster to where I want it, want it to be. And here we are in the middle of year two, really after a shortened offseason that was unfair to everybody. And, yes, everybody has to go through it. But for ECU especially, given the – um, the youth of the roster, they needed a full offseason going into year two. They did not get it, and I think that hurt them more than most. And from the get-go, he said they needed three years. You know, you throw in COVID-19 COVID and the year 2020, you're probably looking at three and a half years. So uh, you're, you're a year and a half into this thing now, almost two full seasons, and, you know, you, ju- you just have to be patient. You have to let them recruit. You have to let them develop. I'm telling you guys, this was a broken program that he took over there was no depth especially in the trenches there were some there were some skill players which we're seeing now but even then they had to recruit the running back room they had to completely rebuild the offensive and defensive line which they're still in the process of doing they had to recreate the secondary they're trying to develop the linebacker room the receivers are solid they're experienced uh, they have a quarterback in Holton Aylers but they had to stock the quarterback room after Holton Aylers so, I mean, there's just so much stuff they have to build. They had to fix the culture. Uh, this team did not even know how to tackle and practice, guys, which is one of the more bizarre things I've ever heard. So, uh, until this year, they really had to learn how to practice. And now they can actually go out and hold a proper Division One practice. And there are still things that need to be cleaned up. But uh, to answer your question, Mike Houston thinks he can definitely recruit uh, enough talent to win his style here. It will take time to do it. Um he won't sit down a certain way, but he thinks it'll be a championship caliber way, similar to what Cincinnati's doing and not just kind of be an all-flash uh, type of deal like an SMU or Houston or that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, I think he definitely thinks he can do it. Now, do, do, you know, does he think he needs more than three years now? Maybe so um, with the way things are going. But, you know, that's something I think I've said all along, year three, going into year three, is my big results year for Mike Houston's staff. I think next year you really got to start grading him on wins and losses, and you have to start seeing some progress then. Uh, next question, Winston Pirate. Has this team lost it? Well, I mean, I don't know what it is. A swagger, they've certainly lost their mojo. I mean, the last two games, I think the Tulsa game really took a lot out of this team. Uh, we've said before it's a very young, immature team, and I think that loss in particular really got to them. Uh, the Temple game is really important. they got to find a way to bounce back and be at least competitive. It's a winnable game, a win over a Temple team you've never beaten the American, as bad as this season has been from a wins and loss perspective. A win over Temple can uh, make a lot of people feel a lot better. Uh, there's a big difference between beating Temple or going up to Philly and getting smacked again and really continuing this downward spiral. So a huge game coming up. I'm not going to say they've lost it, um, but certainly they uh, they have a lot to regain. Uh, fourth Estate asks, why is Aaron Ramsour relegated to second team all of a sudden? Well, I mean, he's mainly been second team most of this year, but the, the thing with Ramsour is, you know, I think it was the – 
either the Navy or uh, Tulsa game where he started to, I think it was the Tulsa game, he started to play a lot more, and then he got injured. So then he missed the the Tulane game, and now he's just coming back from the injury. He's not 100%. Uh, We talked about it before earlier in the year. The scheme was a problem. He was still learning the scheme, and he was coming back from a torn ACL. So it's just been a tough year for Ramsour as far as staying healthy. Um, I think if he comes back next year and he has a full offseason of health, I think he's a starter next year. I think he's a game-changer talent-wise. He's probably your most athletically gifted linebacker. He just really needed a full offseason. He was not able to go through his rehab on campus, which set him back. And I think he's just he was just now getting back to 100% before the recent injury. So hopefully he can stay healthy and stay on the field uh, going forward. How much longer? He also wants to know how much longer will the staff accept Sean Dorso avoiding contact. Yeah, there was a pretty weak tackle attempt. Uh, by Sean Dorso in uh, the second half of tonight's game, I believe, or late in the first half. And uh, that was that's one that's going to stand out on film, I'm sure, knowing this coaching staff. I mean, the Robert Kennedy deal, we saw it at Tulsa. He had a really poor tackle attempt on a touchdown, which uh, seemed to linger. And we haven't heard from Robert Kennedy since. He has not popped up in the transfer portal, but I've been told he will not play again at least this year at safety. So, uh, clearly, if that was made an example out of, I don't know what happens to the Sean Dorso thing. I know they like Sean. They think he can be a quality player. Maybe that's something they address behind the scenes. But that's the one thing with Dorso's game. You know, he's shown a lot of flashes, but his tackling at times has been extremely suspect. He he kind of just throws his shoulders at guys and doesn't wrap up like he needs to. So uh, that's something we'll keep an eye on. I doubt um, – Anything major comes out of it, but who knows? You know, the staff is serious about physicality, about tackling, etc. So I'm sure they'll address. All right, let's continue to rattle off these questions as we wind this thing down. Uh, ATR0309, what's your prediction on record next year? I truly don't see many reasons for optimism outside the usual experience and more time in the weight room argument. Uh, the only sure upgrade I've seen is the running backs. I think this may be the worst offensive staff we've seen here. Um, next year's schedule, I just pulled it up. Yeah, another tough schedule for ECU, especially non-conference-wise. You start off first at State and Charlotte, South Carolina at home at Marshall, Charleston Southern. Uh, and then in conference, you get Cincinnati, Temple, Tulane, USF at home, and then at Houston, at Memphis, at Navy, at U- at UCF. Uh, brutal, brutal schedule again. Uh, the good news is App State loses a lot. South Carolina might have a new coach. Marshall, I think, loses a lot. Charleston Southern's probably a win. Maybe Cincinnati loses Luke Fickle. Temple's beatable. Tulane, I think, is beatable. Uh, I know what just happened, but still. Uh, South Florida's beatable. I mean, you can find six wins there. I think six wins next year has to be the goal. You know, at Houston's not unwinnable. At Memphis, they could lose a lot. That You know, their quarterback, Brady White, we'll see if he, he stays or goes. Navy, can they find a quarterback? If it's the same cast of quarterbacks this year, I think Navy is a game that's winnable. At UCF, definitely looks tough on paper. Um, but, I mean, there are six wins there. The problem is you're just going to have to be much better if you're ECU. You know, you're probably going to have to win. At, you're probably going to have to win uh, at least two non-conference games and then find four wins in conference play. Um, you know, App State in the season opener, that's going to be a huge game. There's going to be a lot of intrigue surrounding that game going into Mike Houston's third year. You know, at Marshall, how much does Marshall lose after a really good season? 
Uh, they're a really talented football team. So, again, it's just too early to say. I'm not going to make a record prediction, but I think there are six wins there. I mean, if you just look at it on paper, USF, Tulane, Temple, one of App and Marshall, Charleston Southern, and then maybe you still won either against South Carolina, uh, Navy, Houston, et cetera. So, I mean, there's six wins there. You just got to work to find them, and you got to – ECU's just got to work on it itself. I mean, they have to become a better football team uh, to have a shot. Um, Straw369, he asks, okay, how much longer until basketball season so we can have another sport to complain about? Well, not too long, Straw, as we sit here on November 14th. November 25th is the season opener for ECU basketball. Uh, Schedule permitted, that is what is scheduled. Uh, COVID permitted, I guess I should say. Uh, because we'll see if COVID uh, allows the teams to play as scheduled as Indiana State. The the season opening opponent already has a positive test, and they have to halt practice. So we'll keep an eye on that. But November 25th is the scheduled start date for ECU basketball in Joe Dooley's third year as uh, the majority of his scoring returns. And we'll have a season preview pod on the way for that when the time comes. But, uh, yeah, so 11 days from today on Sunday. It can't come fast enough because it'll, it's always fun to talk some Pirate Hoops. And it was fun talking ECU football on this Sunday morning as we wind down in the wee hours of Saturday night and the Sunday morning. I uh, just finished up your questions on the Hoist of Colors message board and uh, wish I could be bringing you better news. But, hey, it is what it is. At least we're playing football in 2020. I know it's painful, guys. I know the rebuild is not easy. I know it's hard being a Pirate fan, but hang in there. Brighter days are ahead. I know it doesn't seem easy on a night like tonight, but uh, they are indeed ahead. So hang in there. Continue to support ECU. Continue to support Hoist the Colors. Uh, We couldn't do it without you guys, both on the VIP side, the free side, the podcast side. So as always, rate and subscribe. We'll have, if you're not a member to Hoist the Colors, we'll have some specials Later this month around Thanksgiving, Black Friday, uh, Cyber Monday, etc. For any potential new members. Um, Also, thanks to all you guys that have reached out. You know, dealt with the COVID-19 situation myself this past week. Tested positive. Actually, last Saturday, which is why I didn't cover the Tulane game in person. Um, And I'm just now getting over my quarantine. I still have to be quarantined through Monday. Um, So... Just hanging out, chilling, doing my thing, and uh, but appreciate all you guys reaching out and your support. Everything is going good with my health, thank God, and um, you know, back on the road to recovery, and we'll be back at it soon enough. But that'll do it for our post game podcast tonight. Again, ECU falls fifty five seventeen to Cincinnati. They dropped a one and six on the year. They will play game number eight at Temple next Saturday. We'll have all the coverage for you. As always, on hoistthecolors.net, we'll have a preview pod for you coming up next week as well. Uh, For uh, the Hoist the Colors team, I am Steven Igo. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time.